0: Uh, We're continuing in our our look at the Gospel of Luke as we are on our way to the cross. Uh, On March 31st we'll have Easter. And so we are focusing on Jesus' ministry and his work on the way to the cross and then to his resurrection and the empty tomb. And we're looking this morning at an interesting little situation. We're only going to deal with a portion of the passage really. Because uh, what happens is John sends a couple of disciples to Jesus to ask him a question. And then after Jesus answers them, he has other things that he says to the crowd. But what we're going to focus on today is, is really about John's attitude and his question and Jesus' response. Because there's a, there's a good chance we can all at some point feel similar to the way John was feeling. That... His expectations are not being met. What is Jesus doing? Why doesn't he get around to doing what he's supposed to be doing? And all of that is wrapped up into this question that John asks. And and he's got certain expectations of Jesus. John, at this time in chapter 7, is imprisoned. Uh, Luke barely mentioned it at the the end of uh, chapter 3 that Right after uh, Jesus had been baptized, uh, I might actually have... Yeah, no. Right near the... Not the end, but the middle. uh, Right after he was baptized, or actually before it, uh, he's mentioned being baptized, we're told, Herod, locked John up in prison. So it's so small, we can miss it in, in this Gospel. But basically what happened was as soon as Jesus was on the scene and as soon as John had baptized Jesus... John's ministry was over, and and there was a period of transition where Jesus starts to grow as as a teacher, and John's crowds start to get smaller, and the Gospel of John even records his disciples saying something to him about it, and John says, well, he must increase, I must decrease. But then John is arrested by Herod, and eventually is actually beheaded by Herod. But when when Jesus came on the scene, John's ministry to prepare the way was over. And yet he had some time to wait. He wasn't taken up uh, like Elijah. And and while he is in prison, while he is uh, waiting for whatever is going to happen, and, and in his mind, he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He is waiting for the Messiah to start doing the Messiah stuff. He's in prison. He, he would really most likely like to get out of prison. And yet what we have seen Jesus doing uh, through the first few chapters of his ministry is healing people and preaching to crowds out in the wilderness and other areas. He's not taking it to Jerusalem. And, and so what we are going to see is John's grapple with that of, of, of his expectations of what Jesus is supposed to be doing. We begin in, in verse 18, right after, just, just as a little bit of background on the chapter, chapter 7 begins with uh, the centurion in Caesarea, who uh, has a, or excuse me, Capernaum, who has a slave that is sick, and he wants his slave healed, and so Jesus is willing to go to his house, but he says, oh, no, no, don't come to my house, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house, just say the word. And so Jesus says, wow, I have not seen this kind of faith in the people of Israel. And so he heals the servant. And, and then just a little bit later on, as they're walking, he sees this funeral uh, procession, and it's a widow and her only son. And his, her only son has died. And so Jesus goes up, and he raises the son from the dead on that funeral procession. And after that, other people are being uh, healed, is what we are told, that that people are are spreading the news about him. And so in in that context that Luke tells us in verse 18, that the disciples of John reported to him about all these things. It, It seems like while he was in prison, his disciples were able to come and go and visit him, probably to bring him food. Uh, Back then there was no idea of if you're in prison, the person who's imprisoned you is responsible to feed you. You had to get, and in many countries today it's still this way, you have to have people who are willing to feed you from outside or you're going to starve. And so his disciples are coming to him and taking care of him, seeing him and reporting to him about all these things. They're letting him know what Jesus is doing. They're letting him know what's going on in the world around him. And so in verse 19, having heard this, summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Literally what he is asking him in that uh, question, are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else, uh, to look for is to await or expect as well. So you have you have a word meaning uh, you're the one that is to come, you're the one that's been expected. And then you have another word that means we're looking for, we're waiting for. But they both mean the same thing. Are you the expected one? Are you the one we've been expecting? Or do we need to expect someone else? Is, is literally what John is saying to Jesus. And... and, and it, there is no mistaking for Jesus what John is saying. Are you the Messiah or not? Are you the one that I came to prepare the way for? Or or do we need to be looking for somebody else to save us? And what's implied in that is, Jesus, you're not doing your job. You're not doing what we expect of you as the Messiah. And what we see uh, in verse 20 is that the disciples, when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? So that question, by the way that Luke has written it, is repeated. And when things get repeated like that, it's on purpose to elevate and to emphasize that question. What is going on for John is he is in prison. He is giving his life for this ministry and he is starting to wonder if he is wasting his life. He is starting to struggle with and question, what am I a part of? Because this is not what he expected. If you go back and look in in chapter um, 3 and and the, the teaching and the preaching that John does before Jesus shows up, I mean, he's bringing the fire. He's bringing the hammer. He is walloping people left and right. And He tells them, hey, I'm nothing. The person who's coming, I'm just preparing the way for Him. I'm baptizing you with water. He is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And you can understand fire in a couple different ways. We look back on it and interpret it as fire, as as in Pentecostal fire, the flaming tongues that rested on all the disciples. I think John has more of the idea of you can have one or the other. You can either get the Holy Spirit or you can get a lake of fire. He's, he's expecting Jesus as the Messiah to be a little bit more active than He is. To take on the, the powers that be just a little bit more. That, that was what John did. John attacked the Pharisees, he attacked the Romans, he attacked Herod. That's how he ended up in jail. Because he kept hitting and attacking those that were in charge. And pointing out to them their hypocrisy and pointing out to them their sin. And Jesus isn't doing that. And so John is struggling with seeing what Jesus is doing and looking at what his expectations were. Were. Are you the expected one or not? And that's the, that's the crux of his question. We had the Pharisees who didn't accept Jesus. They, they expected the Messiah to be a certain way, and Jesus started behaving and acting certain ways that were not in keeping. He's healing people on the Sabbath. He's not keeping their, their, their laws, their spoken tra- traditions. And so they're, they're offended by him. But we see here, even John, who was a part of Jesus' ministry, whose purpose was to go before Jesus, he's kind of confused by Jesus. He's he's a bit offended by what Jesus is doing. He's he's questioning, what have I given my life for? Because it sure doesn't look like what I thought the the, the prophets were saying the Messiah was going to do. And so he is, he is asking a very pointed question. Now, he doesn't doubt that Jesus is the expected one. He doesn't doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. He knows Jesus is the Messiah. You, you could understand this question. Are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? To be, get busy, Jesus. I know what you're supposed to be doing. You need to get doing it. And unfortunately, that, that happens a bit for us, doesn't it? We we look at our lives, we look at what's going on, and we know who God is. This is a question that's rooted in who God is. You're powerful. You're supposed to be establishing your kingdom. You're supposed to be setting things right. You're supposed to be uh, saving Israel from its enemies. What are you doing? What are you doing, Jesus? You're just you're not. You're not raising an army. You're not kicking the Romans out. What are you doing? And I I think this is a question that is more likely to come from somebody who believes in God than somebody who doesn't. It's a person who believes God is able to do something that will struggle when God doesn't do it. A person who doesn't believe in God and who doesn't think God's going to do anything isn't that bothered when life goes wrong. But if you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, and if you believe in God the Father, that He is all-powerful and all-knowing, then when you're going through your hardest, most difficult times, when you're struggling the most, you know, A, He knows about it. B, He could do something about it. And C, He's right next to you watching it happen. And as far as you can tell, He's not doing a thing about it. And how do we feel when we get to that place? Sometimes we can be like John. Are you, the, are you God or not? Are you sovereign or not? Are you the expected one or not? We can, we can get to the point where we become disappointed with God because He's not meeting our expectations. And here's the problem. We can get to the point where we have more faith in our expectations and we believe in our expectations and we actually put them on a pedestal above God. And we have this expectation that things should work a certain way and then when they don't, we question His goodness. We question His sovereignty. We question His love. The problem though that John needs to realize and we need to realize is that God is not subject to our expectations God is not our, our expectations are not above him and he doesn't have to serve them. He is not above our or, or subject to our expectations he's above them and and this happens a lot we, we get our in our minds we get an idea and we have an expectation and then when God doesn't meet that we blame him when truly the problem is, Our expectations. What we think should be happening. What we believe should be happening. An expectation is a strong belief something will happen or that something will be the case in the future. And when that strong belief doesn't happen, it doesn't come true, instead of saying, well, I had a wrong expectation, we can sometimes blame the reality instead. I I struggled with this all growing up. I remember uh, when I was looking to, to go to a military school in ninth grade, I saw the brochures and everything, and oh, it looks such a, oh, it looked great. You know, they got a rifle range, they got a confidence course, they got obstacle course. This is going to be awesome. And then I showed up, and the confidence course had been condemned. The rifle range was only for the rifle team. And you know, All of a sudden, sleeping in the barracks that I was sleeping in, and as a young man being exposed to bathrooms that don't have doors on anything was a new experience for a young man, all my expectations were crushed, and the reality was not as exciting or as fun as I thought it would be. And I didn't learn from that. I had to go off to the Marine Corps and find out those expectations weren't so great either. As we would say to one another sitting around growing up in the 80s, what happened to the white horse? I was pretty sure I'd be knighted and an electric city would hit me and I would show up in my dress blues. What happened? This isn't isn't what the recruiter sold me. You know, everything. College, oh, it's going to be a certain way. It's not. How often do our expectations go unmet? And it's because our expectations were wrong. Our expectations weren't true. And and, and that happens in life as far as what we expect God to do for us. It happened for John in his ministry as far as what he expected the Messiah to do, what he expected his cousin Jesus to be doing. And his expectations were not being met. And when that happens, we can become bitter. I I don't fault John at all. He was going through a rough time. He was in prison. His next stop was going to be an executions block. And he wants to know, was it worth it? God is not subject to our expectations. though. God does not have to do what we think He has to do. And instead of... Focusing on our expectations, we need to focus on what God is doing. We, we need to focus on what He's actually doing. Not what we think He should be doing. But to focus on what He is actually doing. And that is, that is Jesus' response to these two disciples. In verse 22, He answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. And I think that's an interesting thing for Jesus to say because that's already what had happened. Uh, the disciples of John reported Him about all these things. They had heard about it. Maybe they'd even seen some things. So Jesus' answer isn't really new information. His answer is to redirect John back to the truth. Go and report to Him what you have seen and and heard. And what have they seen and heard? The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Now what what Jesus is doing if you notice a couple of those are in uh, all caps, you know. And, and what what that means in this translation is that those are those are um, quotes from the Old Testament. And that's what, that's what Jesus is doing. He is using a couple of quotes from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 that He used in chapter 4 when He was preaching in Nazareth. He was handed the scroll of Isaiah. He opened it up to Isaiah 61, verse 1. And He read from it. And He said, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing today. That He is the one who fulfills this. In Luke chapter 4, I'll go there real quick. I don't have the slides for you on it. Uh, but he's, he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. So you see here in uh, verse 22, the Gospel is preached uh, is the last thing he says. In Isaiah, it was the first thing. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. You know, there's a good chance John is sitting there thinking about this passage. I'm in prison. I'm captive. When are you going to release me? There's a possibility he's thinking that. He knows his Scripture. He has uh, sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now here's the thing. Jesus stops right at the beginning of 61, verse 2 in Isaiah. And if you see the rest of it, he starts talking about judgment and wrath. But Jesus stopped before that because that's not where he that's not what he came for when he came. He came to deliver, to free, to declare the Gospel, and to declare uh, the favorable year of the Lord. There will be a time coming when He will come in judgment. But that is not this time. And so all He does is tell them, hey, tell John this. And, and you'll notice uh, the word the there is in italics. That means that the translation added it. Literally, the way Luke wrote it is a very interesting little way that he wrote it. He wrote it noun verb Blind, see as a verb. Blind as a noun, see as a verb. Lame as a noun, a person who is, who is lame. Walk, an action, verb. Same thing, lepers cleansed. Deaf hear, dead raised. Poor, now we don't have a word in English that can say, have the Gospel preached to them. But there was a word in Greek that said all that and it was just one word. And uh, it's the word euagelizo, where we get evangelism from. I know that's a bit of a stretch, but trust me, it's in there. Uh, But that's where we get the word evangelism. To evangelize is to share the good news. And that was the word that he used. So each one, poor, it's a passive form, are evangelized. Each word, noun, verb. And and the focus is just this pounding, this is what's happening. These people are having a reaction, a, a, an action that they are actually able to do. The, 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 the blind are seeing now. The lame are walking now. The lepers are cleansed. And that idea of being cleansed for a leper is both physical and ceremonial. They, are, they're being cleansed of their skin condition. But now, because they are cleansed, they're now able to go into the temple and they're able to worship. So that is, that is even greater than, than we give it, um, uh, scope to be. You know, it's not just, oh, I've got my skin condition taken care of. No, they are now able to go and worship like they were supposed to be able to do. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I am doing exactly what I am supposed to be doing, I am doing what nobody else can do. And I'm doing what I'm, what the Messiah is sent to do, and, and because his, Jesus knows his end result is to go to a cross. There's no indication that John understood the the necessity of the cross for the Messiah. The disciples definitely didn't understand it. And even though Jesus told them several times, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to die, three days later I'm going to be raised again, His disciples still didn't quite grasp it because it was so far outside of their understanding of what the Messiah was supposed to be. But Jesus' answer to John is, the things that I am doing are exactly the things I'm supposed to be doing. And then He concludes it in verse 23. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. To, to take offense is literally to stumble. It comes from a word that means a snare. And, and so he's saying, Blessed is the person who doesn't get ensnared or trapped or stumble because of who I am. That you you would become snared and fall and die. Because of who I am. And that word blessed, it, it means to be somebody that should be envied. It, it comes from a word that means to become long or become large. It's the idea of, you know, blessings are they grow on us and they are growing in us. And so when he says blessed, it is the idea that a person who trusts in Jesus, who isn't offended by Jesus, that person will be blessed in their life and God will. Be doing great things in their life and has done great things in their life. And here's the thing John is looking for small potatoes. John is looking for release. He's looking to get the Romans out of Israel. He's looking for the messianic kingdom. God's plan was so much greater than what the Israelites were looking for, they were just looking for their own salvation. And the Pharisees, as far as they were concerned, they didn't need personal salvation from sin. What they needed was redemption and salvation from the Romans. They were looking for God to get rid of an earthly power over them so that they could be their own earthly power once again. But Jesus is going to do something and He hasn't done it. Well first, instead of focusing on what we expect, let's focus on what God is actually doing let's not get upset because he's not doing this over here and miss out the fact that he's doing that over there but also when we do look at what he is doing and we see it we'll realize that God's works are greater than we think that that what he is doing is even though to us it might look small and it might not look as impressive and it might not look like what we were expecting it's actually greater than what we were asking him to do and it was greater than we expected him to do and there are so many examples in scripture where where people maybe were just expecting a little bit and God was ready and willing to do so much more than they ever expected But so many times He did great things in little ways. In little ways that we don't even acknowledge or recognize. And that's what He was doing through Jesus. Jesus wasn't there to to destroy the Romans and He wasn't there to to kick them out of Israel. and He wasn't there to straighten up the temple. He was there to die on a cross. To die... The punishment for the sins of not just the people of Israel, but for all the people of the world for all time. And he did that in one seemingly small and insignificant way. One man went to one cross and died on one day. And and there were so many people back then being crucified by the Romans. The Romans didn't even really care who they crucified. When Jesus was brought before Pilate, He was willing to let him go. Pilate had another criminal, a, a real criminal, an insurrectionist, somebody who had actually physically tried to overthrow the Romans. And when it came down to it and the people said, give us Barabbas, didn't bother Pilate too much. He'll get his chance to get Barabbas another day. They cared so little about individual lives. It didn't matter if you were innocent. They'd beat you just to find out what the truth was. They had that right. And yet, in that small and significant way of Jesus going to the cross, which happened on a daily and weekly basis for the Romans, there were three guys scheduled that day anyway. They just swapped one of them out and put Jesus on His cross. They didn't think anything of it. It didn't matter that it was a crooked uh, court. It was expedient. And they put Him on a cross and He died. And it seemed so small and so simple. And yet, in doing that, God made a way to save the world. And he showed how great it was by three days later rising from the dead. And, and Jesus tells us if we believe in him, if we, if we hear his word and believe in the one in whom he has sent, and, and believe in the one who has sent him, we'll be saved. That small thing. It doesn't seem great. Uh, like Naaman the leper, we want to do great big things to be healed and cleansed. And he, he tells us, no, just do some simple thing. Just believe. Believe in me. And yet, that work that looks small is greater than we think. And it's greater than any of the great things we could do. Because it actually heals us and it actually cleanses us from our sin. And it actually gives us life. So, when God doesn't meet your expectations, remind yourself that those were your expectations, not what He had proclaimed. Look to see what He is actually doing. Because what He is doing is going to be greater than anything you could have possibly expected. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You that You are truly acting in our lives. We thank You, Father, that these things that seem so small and insignificant, Jesus was from Nazareth and they said, has anything good ever come from Nazareth? The church began, not even with 12, but 11 because one had betrayed him and killed himself. And yet from a small seed, you have done so much and changed so many lives. Father, we pray that those things that we expect of you, those Things that we have a hope for how the world's going to be and how our our future is going to look. And there are things that You haven't proclaimed to us. There are things that we have proclaimed to You. Father, we pray that You would help us to look at them and to hold them freely in our hands and recognize that they are not Your promises. Help us instead, Lord, to look and see what You are actually doing in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones and in the, the world today. Give us eyes to see that You are active and You are doing great things in small ways. And Lord, help us to have faith to trust in You. To remember that what You are doing and what You will do is greater than we can expect and dream and hope for. It's greater than we even asked. You fill our cups You pack it down, and then you overflow them. Father, help us to see and to focus on what You are doing and not to take offense at what we don't see You doing. And we pray, Lord, that You would give us faith to trust in Jesus, to trust in You, And Father, we pray for the blessing that comes when we hold and hope in You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.